Hey humans, how's it going? Susan Ruth here. Thanks for listening to another episode of Hey Human Podcast. This is episode 275, and I had a conversation with Dr. Frances Yahia. She is the host of Mistress of the Subconscious Podcast. She's a mental health counselor, uh, Akashic Records reader, an archetypal astrologer. She's written a ton of books and has a bunch of books coming up uh, that we'll be releasing this year and next. She definitely spent her time in <laughs> COVID captivity working on a whole lot of projects. Very impressive. This kind of stuff is really interesting to me. Uh, I really love talking about it, all the possibilities. We talked about mythology and God, and she was uh, raised in a cult. We talked about that, the process of how the subconscious and the conscious mind interact. Uh, if you don't know what an archetypal astrologer is, I didn't either, but she talks about that on the show. Just really interesting. One of the things that I reference when I'm talking with her is about the twins that I was told about uh, a Vedic astrologer and I talked about. So the twins I'm referring to, I looked it up, uh, they're called the Ashvins, and they are two twin brothers of Hindu mythology, uh, sons of the sun god Surya, and they are also referred to as the horsemen and are forever young, handsome, and athletic, and they are considered the physicians of the gods. So I reference it, uh, but I couldn't remember their names, so I just wanted to put that out there. I'll be participating in the Seattle Film Summit again this year, and I have put together a panel with trans activist and writer, director, producer Andrea James, horror writer, producer, director John Penny, and actress, producer, writer, director Catherine Lee McEwen. And that's going to be, uh, again, for the Seattle Film Summit, our our panel is, it's all on Zoom, and our panel is on September 4th, which is a Saturday, at 5 p.m. Pacific Standard Time. You can get tickets for that at the seattlefilmsummit.com website. I'm going to be on this Friday's episode of the Curiosity Bites podcast with Dove Barron, and I'll definitely put that up on my susanruth.com website for you to get to if you would like. If you're into music, check out my music under Susan Ruth on all the musical places, iTunes, Spotify. Hey Human Podcast can be found on social media. Uh, it's on Instagram and on Facebook. You can find me on social media, Susan Ruthism. Uh, go to susanruth.com to sign up on the mailing list and find out more about me in general that's outside of the podcast. You go to heyhumanpodcast.com and on there you'll find a links page for every guest I have. There is a links section for that guest where you can find reference materials, books, articles, all that um, based on whatever we talked about. Email me, susan at heyhumanpodcast.com. And also, if you get a moment, please rate and review Hey Human on iTunes or wherever you get your podcasts. Super helpful, and I really appreciate it. Um, it, it really it makes a big difference. I think that's about it. Uh, thank you for listening. Stay safe. Be well. Be kind. And uh, here we go. Dr. Francis Yahia, welcome to Hey Human. Thank you for being here. Thank you for having me. It's exciting. Hey. Where are you hailing from in this current moment? I live in Weston, Florida. It's about 15 minutes west of Fort Lauderdale and about okay. 30 minutes from Miami. 
I've been to Dustin, Florida, but not Western Florida. Uh, okay. Yeah. That's up North. Yeah. Yeah. We're sort of in the, in the midst of pandemic talk these days, if you know what I mean. <laughs> I feel like every, everything and everyone is at this point. Uh, tell me, where did you grow up? What was childhood? You have a, from the little bit I know about you, and I, I try to go into these things not knowing too much because I like to um, discover along with my listeners who okay. a person is. Uh, no preconceived notion. So let's uh, let's dig in. So I grew up not too far from here in Aventura, Florida, and I actually grew up in a cult. I was born in New York, um, and my parents came from um, New York to Miami. And they were part of a cult, which actually at the time I wouldn't have called a cult. Um, and, and the more sort of looking back, I do, it, it's a very good foundation that I have spiritually. And, and what I do is, is spiritual work. And the best thing about that sort of relationship that that um, evolved from my parents and this leader was this notion that spirit and matter are always together. My parents were the material arm of the spiritual center. Um, that sort of went awry um, around my mid thirties, early thirties. I was in somewhat of an arranged marriage with the cult leader's nephew. Um, and after having three babies, I realized that I no longer bought into the value system um, of the philosophy of the cult, she had kind of gone awry. And then I, I left and, and sort of started my spiritual journey from there. But childhood was what now I call a snow globe. And we all do come from, from a snow globe. It's shattered, um, no matter how small the crack, the crack is there. And I've written several books about this theory and whatnot. Um, so my, my snow globe, it seemed to not have a crack and it seemed to be pretty perfect until I left the cult. And then I realized that it wasn't. <laughs> and you, you, myself. you said that the leader was a female. Yes. Yes. She is a female. And um, like I said, it, uh, my, my heritage, um, we're Cuban and it's not uncommon in Cuban culture to be raised alongside whatever your religious beliefs are Afro-Cuban traditions. And that was sort of the root. Um, there was spiritualism by Adam, uh, Alan Kardec. So a lot of Kardec teachings. So the, the actual root of the teachings and the philosophy were, were brilliant. I um, mean, I have a really strong um, foundation spiritually because of that. It was just later on when I started realizing and, and seeing things didn't add up and that my value system was not in alignment. Um, and I think that's when she sort of veered off into power hungry and, and narcissistic and so forth. And it was time to leave. As a, what's the, can you say what the name of the cult is? There's no name. It's just her. Oh. and her. Oh. Yeah, there's no name. I know. <laughs> Anything that where there's a group of people that are so into a thing that that is all and all be all sunrise sunset you well, know the reality is and it's a lecture that i'm putting together this week is actually that we all come from a cult um cults have certain traditions a language a value system a philosophy our family our family is a cult um that it's more mainstream or normalized but really, when you start looking at symbol, uh, symbolism, mythology, origin story, um, power. Rules, the power, and I have many, many theories on power currencies and dynamics and how our subconscious forms, it really is from that. So we all do um, have a cult in our head. 
Um, and if we start deconstructing that, we can realize that the, the threads of what make up a cult are actually there from what I call the moment of conception. And when you start really looking at the psyche, you're like, oh, wow, that was a, a, a it may not be harmful in the sense that that you're out doing any harm externally, but internally, the message is the limited programming is there from the moment of conception. It's, it's the psyche is quite fascinating. I actually love that theory. That's fascinating. I mean, I, we talk a lot on the show about tribe and having a tribe. And I think to that point of if you're raised in no matter what it is, you seek it out elsewhere until you start to heal, especially if there's broken bits and pieces. I, I know from my childhood that growing up, for example, I uh, got into relationships with men that were reminiscent of the broken parent. And and until I understood that and could heal from that as best I could, um, I just kept repeating it because you, you do, you, you keep indoctrinating yourself as you move out in the world. I, I love that theory. It's fascinating. Yeah, I have a book coming out in the next couple of weeks called The Truth is in the Triangle, and it's all about that. Um, there's a mistress in every relationship, and it is linked to what I call the unintegrated parent or shadow parent. So it's exactly that. And it's the one that you don't want to identify you are like, and you mirror that in your relationship. So your partner is your parent, um, specifically that that parent. Yeah, and, I believe that. Yeah. Yeah. So once we learn to integrate those qualities and realize that there is no other that it's simply a mirror for sort of shadow aspects, or like you said, broken pieces, then we have a template for, for shadow work and doing deeper inner work heals the inner child and, and, you know, a bunch of different things. But yeah, my first book is all about that. Um, what I call the good buckets and bad buckets, um, the shadow aspects each parent has, but we have identified in our sort of child mind very early on which parent has the power currency that we want. It's either overt power or covert power. And your partner and other people in your life will mirror to you that opposite power currency so that you can learn to integrate it. One of the parents is, of course, messianic, too, as a child, that, that they are our gods. Well, both of them. The thing is that both, and that's why the subconscious. Well, maybe one's a good God, one's a one's a shadow God. <laughs> yeah, they, yeah, they both have both aspects. But right, we identify, and it's usually what's interesting. I see with clients all the time, and I ask them from zero to seven, what is that one moment? There's many that you that story that from zero to seven you identified you were shamed, unlovable, unworthy, put that away, different. We will build our entire sort of empire, our life on that story, becoming that parent at that moment, we identified this parent has the power currency I want covert or overt. We will build our life on that. Wow. And then we punish ourselves. We, we, we have what I call the psychological homeostasis where we punish ourselves for being that. And so we bring in these others, as we would say, to show us the other parent. So it's, it's fascinating. Our psyche it's, it's, I mean, I study this day and night. It's, it's amazing. So literally the cult is in your head. Um, you learn the characters, the language, the traditions, the rituals, and so forth, the ceremonies from mom and dad. And you're right. They are, they are gods. Um, and we keep them there. I have a book coming out called dethroning Olympus and it's about dethroning your parents. 
You have to dethrone mom and dad. And the thing is, every single person, place, thing, or situation in your life represents mom or dad. So it's a big dethroning process throughout life, realizing we're enough, we're enough, we're enough. Self-worth. Wow, I can't wait to read that book. <laughs> you know, it's funny. I was in therapy, uh, you know, I did therapy for forever and uh, I was in a session and therapist said to me, you know, Susan, we talk about this one parent quite a lot, you know, the, the damaging, you know, evil parent. And then uh, not so much, you, you never are mad at the other parent. And, and uh, I, I thought for us, like, why would I be mad at them? They were great. They, you know, did all these fun things with me and, you know, blah, blah, blah. And she said, well, did, do you think that they knew what was going on? And I thought, oh, fuck. <laughs> boom, boom, boom. And so I spent a few weeks very angry at that other parent in my head. I mean, I, right. I until I could process that information, I was, it was, it was crazy. It was like a bomb went off in my brain. Because we always want to have a savior. That's the thing. And so if one parent failed tremendously, as it sounds like in your case was, then the other parent has to step it up and be beyond the savior. If both screw it up, then, well, there's always one better, even if it's minutely. And then if both screw it up, well, then you'll find a savior elsewhere. Um, I have a whole video series on this um, because this idea, the thing is, I, I have written about absolutely everything and talk about it. I love it. I know it all. <laughs> I love, no, I love it. I love it. I have to admit that. But the thing is, I spend all day and night basically observing human behavior. So I'm constantly, you know, writing theories about these things. Um, the moment of conception, we're given all of the programming, but we're, we're, we're there, but we're not there. Pregnancy, we get what I call your shadow language of love. So that's where we learn to love dysfunctionally based on whatever mom was living externally. The moment of birth, that process of birth is our transition period. But think of what happened. Dad perpetrates mom. Mom is the perpetrator. She's crying, yelling, screaming in pain because she's birthing. And you come out as the savior. You just saved these two people, right? The perpetrator dad. And, and it doesn't have to live out this way. I'm just saying it, these are the players, right? And mom goes through pain. Well, she needs a, a rescuer or a savior is you. So there's always a savior archetype in our story. That's why it's the truth is in the triangle. And I break down these specific archetypes that show up in our relationships. I call it the mistress. And that mistress is there to show you what, what you need to give yourself. We oftentimes say it's infidelity or, or betrayal from our partner. No, it's the infidelity or betrayal from, from self, the lack of self-love or, or the lies we, we tell ourselves about ourselves. It always comes back to self. But that setup of perpetrator, rescuer, savior is there from the moment of conception because mom, dad, and you were there. But it's very played out in the birth. And then how do we show up? Oh, my God, my kid is everything or my kid is nothing. However, we kind of play out the story um, because we're either the devil of the story, the villain, or, or, or we're the hero of it, right? Um, it's so bizarre to think about the dark night of the soul as being the actual birth that's in, in the mythology of it all. And then your hero's journey starts from the first whale. 
Yeah, well, the dark night of the soul is what I call um, sort of the positive feedback. In regular homeostasis, right, in, in normal worldly earthly body homeostasis, the body is set up to help us. If you're hot, you sweat, it cools you down, right? The psyche isn't set up like that. The psychological homeostasis is set up to harm you, to repeat the story from conception, pregnancy, and birth over and over and over. It's the, that, that cult that lives in your head. So when you have positive, uh, a positive feedback mechanism, archetypally, it's the planet Pluto. It's the criminal. It's the devil. It's Satan. It's a Pluto rapes Persephone in the myth, right? Something that rapes you, figuratively, hopefully, sets you off to this hero's journey. And then we can enter the belly of the whale. Then we can enter the call. We can enter that, you know, um, in the King Arthur legends, you know, enter the sort of the forest, the unpaved path. But if we don't create, and I say that intentionally, we create it all. If we don't create the perpetrator, if we don't create this crisis, this dark night of the soul, we don't ever get out of that psychological homeostasis that gives us permission to find our own way. We will stay in that snow globe, repeating it over and over and over again. And what's so sad is that so many of us, for me, it was cancer, five years of cancer. So many of us will create this perpetrator, this dark night of the soul and go right back into the psychological homeostasis from child. I call that toxic waters. We go right back seeking the womb rather than the universal womb. This, this, this sort of dark night is supposed to, <laughs> night is supposed to quote unquote, propel us to seek, you know, the universal womb, the universal consciousness. But so many of us don't know we end right back into the toxic waters, the maternal womb, you know, with poor coping, unhealthy mechanisms. And we're right back into that vicious cycle. And it's it's fascinating. It's really read all your books this week. <laughs> I, I know it already. I, I want to. So you said a couple of things in there that I want to touch on, but I do want to get back to you said you had an arranged marriage. Uh, tell me as a as a kid growing up, was there always that thing in the back of your mind? This is going to be my life and I have to do this thing because it's, it's expected of me. It wasn't like that. This is the thing. And I write about this in the intro to my Seven Gates book. Our story, and, and you and I were talking about the importance of story. Our story has a lot of information. And in one or two sentences, I can sort of see the whole story unfold. Well, my story was I was born into this cult. I was the only child of the cult that crossed the ocean to get to the cult leader's home. So then they present you kind of like Simba and the Lion King. And I was always told. They didn't, I'm sorry. I don't mean to interrupt you, but uh, I do mean to interrupt you because I want to know. <laughs> I take that back. I do mean to interrupt you. The, the, the leader lived in Europe? No, no. This was in New York. This was in New York. Oh, Wherever I'm sorry. When you said Brooklyn, I guess they needed to cross the water. I see. Okay. It's metaphor. It's more metaphorical than but I did cross the, the ocean. Yeah. So to speak. Okay. okay. Um, I understood that later metaphorically and archetypally as Neptune and all of this, but that snow globe fantasy that I lived in. And I was presented as basically the, the, the prettiest baby that had ever been born in the, in the cult. So there's a lot. Plus I'm named after the cult leader's spirit. So imagine I'm named after this, this spirit named Francisca, 
um, an African slave. I'm crossing the waters, this journey like the Odyssey. And I write a lot about myth and, and Odysseus because of this. And I, I reach there and I'm, I'm presented. And then my mom, true to the myth, sort of hands me over to the cult leader to raise. I lived with, at home with my parents. My parents were great. But symbolically, the cult leader was like, she's mine. I'm going to raise her. And that comes from a myth of Hephaestus. Hephaestus is the only god in Olympus that's kicked out of Olympus and thrown to the bottom of the ocean. So you see the metaphor there and raised by nymphs. And this was literally, I lived out this story and when I started understanding it. So now I am like a child of the cult leader. I have a special seat every Friday, wherever we sit. So I'm special. You know, there's what what distinguished you there. Was it just being a handsome baby? What distinguished you? Were you the only female born at that point? No, no, no. Or? She just picked me for whatever reason. All right. Way to go, gal. <laughs> so I kind of became like her surrogate child uh-huh. and was there all the time. We lived next door. I mean, parents and her had built house. We came to Florida at that time. They had built house right next to each other. I was there every day, grew up. Obviously, her kids were like my brothers and sisters. Our our families were very intertwined, very enmeshed. And I said earlier, my father was the financial arm and she was the spiritual arm. And that honestly was the take home message. If, If I lived there for 33 years, it was to learn that. And that is the crux of spirituality is that spirit and matter are one. And they're all together. Yeah. Oh, you really did play into all of the. I'm a walking myth. I'm telling you. Oh my gosh. I write and teach a lot about mythology. I'm I'm a mythology obsessed. And for that reason, because all we are is living myth. So when I do astrology, I do something called archetypal astrology. The first thing I tell a client between their sun, moon, and his ascendant, this is the myth you're living. And they start to see how they've lived out this story. I have a hashtag, no new stories. We live it out with our costumes, our traditions, our language, our place. But really, we're just a myth. Pick a culture, any culture, it's there. I say that all the time. Humans are in constant cosplay. (laughs) Yeah, totally, totally. And so I hang out with the Greeks, the Greek gods a lot. But I do study a lot of like Hindu myths and Egyptian myths. And and as Joseph Campbell showed, you know, the, the sort of thread of all. So it's really fun to kind of identify the thread you're living and how you're doing it in modern day. It's very fun. So when you can when you can laugh about it, because when you're doing it, you're like, oh, my God. But then when you can pull back a bit and go, oh, wow, wait, I could rewrite this, you know. Um, So that was kind of it. And I don't know at what age she sort of became obsessed with me marrying her nephew but it became a little bit of an obsession and he was 15 years older than I was. Um, And so funny, um, I had psychic abilities from a very, very young age and I'm actually at his first wedding and turned to my date. It was just a friend of mine and said, I'm going to marry that guy. I did not like him. I did not want to marry him. And then she became obsessed after that. And I resisted and resisted and resisted. And a big self-betrayal for me was to actually engage in that marriage. Um, But I was pregnant and all the stuff that came with that. Um, So I was in that marriage for about two and a half, three years, long enough to have three babies. Did you love him? Uh, Did you decide to love him? You know, sometimes that's the choice of I'm in this and especially in those sorts of circumstance. Well, being very Neptunian as I am, very Pisces, I'm really good at wanting things to be the way I want to see them as very fantasy, hence the snow globe metaphor. I tried. I think we had a lot of things going against us 
um, just a lot of family meddling and, and, and age and experience and three babies in the first year of marriage. So, you know, he's not a bad person. It's just, I don't think that we were at the right space, but that was really for me, the turning point. And I'll, I'll share that with you. When I, when I wrote seven gates that aha from that Odysseus myth that changed everything for me and actually was the catalyst for everything I've done since, uh, spiritually, personally, and, and with clients. So I left um, and I was still in the cult. He leaves the cult. Mind you, this is his aunt. And I was calling her every day during the, the, the marriage. Can I leave? Can I leave? Can I leave? Asking for permission. And one day I was like, this is my life. I have to make the choice. And I called her and I'm like, I'm not asking for permission. I'm telling you I'm leaving. And I left. And that was a big sort of power moment for me, owning my own power, realizing that I had control of my life. I found astrology shortly after that. And the astrology. Well, I'm just curious how she responded to that. That's a huge bombshell. Well, she supported it, but not so much like to my face. She did um, covertly, but went behind my back and my parents. And there was a lot of a lot of that sort of cultish, you know, you keep a member at all costs. And he had already left. And once I started picking up on, on those threads, I was like, I cannot have my children raised in this value system. And I left. And it was very scary. You know, here I am sort of alone with three babies. And he was a very involved, is still is a very involved father. But, you know, I find myself young and with three kids. And now what? And spirit is all I know. Spirituality is all I'm about. That is my entire being. I, 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 I live and breathe this. And all of a sudden I feel abandoned. So I have no compass for life because what I know to be spirituality has now failed me, so to speak. I find astrology and the teacher, the, the astrologer, it was supposed to be an hour session, lasted all of like five minutes. And he said two things to me, one I knew and one I had never heard. The first was you're going to get divorced, which I was. And the second was you have uh, you can be in control of your own life. And I was like, uh, can you sign me up for that? Because I never heard that before. Um, in that same time frame, uh, upon when I found astrology, I was having an existential crisis. Talk about a dark night. And I was crying and I had picked up all of my sort of relics from my altar and thrown them in the garbage. And I screamed at God and said, if you exist show me. And the book, the Zohar from Kabbalah falls off the shelf. And it opens to a page that says, there's no coercion in spirituality. And I realized that that's all I had known was coercion. And I really had not known true spirituality. And that led me on my quest where astrology came into play, the Akashic records. And I remember going for a reading once and my ex-husband now, but at the time he picks me up and he's like, how was it? And I said, best reading I ever had, worst reading I ever had. And I'm like, worst reading because it wasn't very good. But the best reading, because I realized that what I had was amazing. And from that moment, I built a very successful practice. And I just have, I know that what I have in terms of spiritual is very, very beautiful and strong. And I trust in it 100%. So all of that sort of, you know, led me to this, right? Um, so our story serves us to, to use the elements. But um, I was writing The Seven Gates. I had just gotten diagnosed with my first bout of breast cancer. 
And I was actually in the process of editing the book and the editor had sent me the manuscript. And I had this moment, and this is where it all sort of came together. There's a line in the Odyssey. So the Odyssey, you know, like the Iliad and the Odyssey are are, are the crux of, of Greek literature and mythology. And it's when Odysseus is, is in disguise in the room with Penelope and they're moving the, or they're trying to move the furniture around. And he's like, you can't uh, separate the olive branch from the marital bed. And at that moment, I see this snow globe shatter shards all over the floor. And I rewrite the whole book. And I send the editor, I'll tell you why in a minute. I send the editor the new book and she's like, this is a whole new book. I said, because I am a whole new person. So from the moment that I leave the cult at 33, I start my spiritual practice around 36, like building it. I'm probably 40 at this age, maybe, yeah, about 40 years old, 42. So see how much time past but this is my my journey my seeking and my the father of my children is not a bad person and whatnot we were in unfortunate circumstances but I had always felt victim and at that moment I realized we're the same person so that myth that one sentence changed it all for me and it's actually the crux I have a seven-step model but step two is is linked to that So the olive branch is linked to peace, right? Like extending an olive branch, you know, making peace with another. The myth is that Odysseus leaves and when he returns home, he shapeshifts to trick Penelope because she had been, you know, suitors had been after and he wanted to see if she had been faithful. And the marital bed refers to the moment of conception and every single thing and everything I write is about the origin story or the moment of conception, whether it's a business, a relationship, everything. It all starts with that. The moment of conception, think of mom and dad in the marital bed or wherever they were, is rooted in an impure thought. There's lust, there's desire. And what have we been told over and over and over again? Lust and desire is bad. The original sins, vices, whatever it is. Our entire construction of self, it's the bad buckets, it's the shadow, is rooted in this this myth, this, this belief that at root we're like bad and evil because we're conceived. And think of Catholicism and, and the Immaculate Conception. Everything is true except the moment of conception doesn't exist because it's immaculate. It, it's unheard of. Because so, it has to be devoid of sin, right? And purity. Yeah, And so I've written this whole truth to the spiritual path and it starts with truth. One is the truth of thought. So at that moment, when I see that snow globe shatter, I was like, I'm not a victim. He was mirroring me. And, and there was some, some unhealthy, you know, sort of uh, psychological abuse in that relationship. He was simply mirroring my own, you know, sort of voices in my head. Um, now I call them the competitive voices. And he was an outright narcissist in the sense that he had been put on a pedestal, said, basically, you're God. And I was thrown to the bottom of the ocean to be given over to this cult leader. I was told the opposite story. We're the same person. And when I see the snow globe shatter, I'm like, what I have done 
what I have created, what I have done to my children. Oh my God, it all starts from that marital bed. And the only way to heal self, the only way to be in community, the only way to be a whole individual is to go back to that moment of conception and work with that impure thought. And I built this entire model around the origin story. And you don't need to know your moment of conception. You don't even need to know about your pregnancy. And you don't even need to know about your birth story. Any story you tell me, I can take to that. And it's a simple question. What don't I like about the person, place, thing, or situation? That one question will link you to a judgment. That judgment goes back to the moment of conception where you started your self-hatred and self-betrayal process. That judgment is linked to a value system that you don't want to accept that you have. It's a vicious cycle, all rooted in that we're supposed to be pure and good, and we are. And it takes me back to spirit and matter always together. The spirit is divine. The spirit is the soul. It's, it, it's the intact, you know, sort of divine spark, God spark in us. But mm. it's enveloped in material that's dirty and impure. So that's all of spirituality, spirit and matter always together. There's an impure sort of imperfect original sin, original impure thought that encases and encompasses your spiritual essence. And it's only in quote unquote, the olive branch with self acceptance of self that that lust, that desire from that moment of conception, right? The, the bed, the marital bed, the sex, if we will, that impurity if we learn to love ourselves, have the olive branch for self in our mind, primarily that dictates it all. Then we live in self-love and self-worth. Then and only then can we love another. That one sentence. And when I saw that, everything changed. And I've written relationship models, family models, world models in terms of how to live in community, teamwork, corporate program based on that. There is no other. It's always in essence and a mirror and a reflection of self. And that's a spiritual law called the principle of correspondence as within, so without. And anything you judge, I have a statement. It says judgments are confessions and they're great. They're great. I, I agree with that as well. I totally agree with that as well. But I'm like, no, tell me your judgments. Because if I know your judgments, I know what you value. And if I know what you value, then I know why you hate yourself and self-betray because you're betraying those exact values. And it is beautiful, but it's like we've been told lies. We've been built on lies. And so how can we have self-worth and self-love if we think that having an impure thought and a judgment is wrong? So I have this thing called the spiritual TED Talk. It's the first thing I do with clients. I do this thing called the psychological x-ray where we kind of identify the good and bad, sort of the shadow aspects that they haven't integrated. Then we move into the spiritual TED Talk. And when you do a spiritual TED Talk with yourself, it's three basic questions. In a minute, all things deflate. They no longer have the power because you're just identifying, oh, it's a judgment, it's a value system. And it's like a constant deflation of the impure thought that allows you then to be present and mindful with the person or with whatever's showing up in your life for you to extract the essence. But we haven't been taught that. And even meditation, which is truth 10, and, and I'm all for meditation, tells you to ignore the thought or let go of the thought better said. 
And you can't. You need to know the origin of your thought. First and foremost, then you can let it go. But if you don't know the origin of it, what are we doing here? So we're always trying to suppress and suppress that impure thought, which is the bad buckets, which is the shadow, which leads yeah. us to the soul. But I'm doing, med- I've started doing meditation. Uh, I'm not great at it uh, for that very reason. And so instead for five minutes in the morning, I just, I repeat the same thing. What do you, what would you have me know? And I know I'm talking to myself and everything else. I do think that we live in a society, a culture, and maybe it's a global culture, but certainly it's an American culture of uh, being rooted in our shadow work. You know, you're not good enough. You're not pretty enough. You're not smart enough. You're, you know, you drink too much. You smoke too much. You do this too. You have sex too much. You think bad thoughts too much. Religion is certainly rooted in shadow work. And it's it's quite fascinating. I know it's a multi-billion dollar culture. Right, exactly. <laughs> so I have this uh, this lecture um, where I dethrone, I dethrone everything and everyone, right? Okay, that's part of like my thing is dethrone everything. So this one series is I dethrone Satan. And the church was very smart in using fire as the element in hell. Fire is linked to the third chakra. The third chakra is your self-worth. It's only when you're fire, not too much narcissist or not too little, when it's just right, that you actually are sort of burning, digesting, metabolizing. So they use that. They were very, very smart. They removed the impure thought of conception. They added the element of fire. And look, I have nothing against religion. I have studied every religion, tradition, philosophy. They're all rooted in universal law. The marketing of it due to the material world is a whole other story. But the actual right. essence of, of all of these myths and traditions and philosophies are universal. If you break down what Lucifer signifies, the the truth, really, right? Well, Lucifer the- means a la luz. La luz is the light. The which is the truth. Hercules, the myth yeah. of Hercules, when he, when he goes to confront the Hydra, which is the shadow work, that's truth eight in my, in my 12 truths. Is all about and you and you cannot suppress the shadow. The the myth of Hercules with the Hydra is do he's told, do not chop off the head, two will grow back. Try to suppress your too much drinking, too much sex, too much whatever, it comes bigger and bolder. So it's actually where he takes his little handy dandy club, puts sets it on fire, and severs it. It's the raising of consciousness. Fire means raising consciousness, it's the only element. Of the elements, that means transmutation. That's why Prometheus, the big statue in New York, where he was punished for stealing fire from the gods to the humans, wasn't because we were going to keep warm and, and warm our food. It was because if we as humans had the element of transmutation, we would then become gods and we would right. fail to continue to incarnate and be yeah. I've I've always been a champion for Lucifer, I got to say, because to <laughs> me, uh, it's always to me represented the idea of of pure honesty. Uh, wow. pure, and and that the, the idea of the offering up of the apple, pomegranate, what, what have you, of, you know, eating of the knowledge of good and evil. It's the knowledge of shadow and light. It's it's the, it's the knowledge of self. And so the reason why the gods or God, you know, God in the, in the uh, Judeo-Christian Bible, you know, is like, I'm a jealous, I'm a jealous God. There are other gods. Don't, don't let, look at any of them. Look at me. Don't look at them. Look at me. (laughs) Don't look at them. Look at me. And there's even a referential in Genesis where uh, God has an aside and says, 
they, they just ate from paraphrasing they just ate from the tree of good and evil and if they eat from the the tree of immortality we're effed they'll know everything they'll know we everything. can't let them know right. you know we can't let them know we have to keep them dumb and 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 yoked and the yoke is fascinating too, because what are they yoked to? They're yoked to all of their the worst feelings of themselves. I think that's why Jesus comes along and he keeps saying, you know, he, he's sort of like, you know, that, that stuff was a little intense. You know, it's in you. It's in you. The temple of God is in you. It's in you. He's such a wonderful teacher and metaphor. And I'll ask clients, um, what was ordinary about Jesus? And they'll be like, well, he was in a human earthly form. Well, what was extraordinary about Jesus? Well, he was God. Uh, isn't that you? Are you wrapped up in this earthly, you know, body? The only difference, which obviously was by, you know, uh, sort of they, they did it um, intentionally was to remove the sort of conception. Yeah. So when we bring back that moment. But Jesus was born in a manger. The animals represent our animal nature, low level consciousness. The word manger in Latin is praesepi, which is actually a cluster of stars in the sky that link to the Cancer constellation. The Cancer constellation has to do with the tribe, the honeypot, the family enmeshment. Think of trying to get out of a honeypot and becoming individuated, your own individual self, third chakra, the fire. So when you start breaking down symbolically, you realize, and just to address the Lucifer came later, the original sort of Lucifer, if you will, archetypally is the planet Pluto or Dispater. So Pluto rapes Persephone. That's the breaking of the psychological homeostasis. You need a Pluto. You need someone to take you out of the illusion. She was just simply asleep with her mother, giving her the, the Narcissus flower, keeping her in a daze, the snow globe. He comes, he shatters the snow globe and says, wait, there's another way to do this. You get to adult, you get to, to, to figure this out and live your own life. Well, Pluto or Dispater represents spiritual riches and material riches. It's only through your spiritual wealth do you get material wealth or vice versa. They're always found together. And it's about bringing the shadow aspects to the light. We all have them. That's why the first thing I do with clients in the, in the psychological x-rays, tell me the good and bad of mom and dad from zero to seven, preferably. Those bad aspects you judge in your parents, good parent or bad parent in your story, they're still quote unquote bad qualities. You as a child, when the subconscious was forming, suppress them and said, I don't want to do that. I don't want to see that my parents are gods, good or bad. doesn't matter how, how good they were really in the story, your psyche set up to say, these are my gods, suppress, suppress the bad. When you start doing what I call integration, especially of the shadow parent, but any of the bad bucket items, now you can say, oh, I'm whole. It's the olive branch. I'm at peace with myself with both the good and the bad, the lustful uh, experience of conception and the love experience at conception. Now I can do it differently. Now I can individuate and actually live my life. That's the call for the hero's journey. But before you even reach individuation or decide to sort of continue, you get Trial after trial after trial. It's not like, oh, I heeded the call and here I'm individuated. Oh, no. Look at every myth. Look at Gilgamesh. He fell asleep. I mean, this is inherent in us that we fall asleep, that we return back to the toxic waters in my language, that we go back to what we know. 
even the, the as you were saying as persephone is sleeping under the spell of and i love that it's the narcissist flower right, right. that's right. it i mean come on so you know. symbolic, yeah. so <laughs> symbolic. and the fact that it's not like jesus was the first virgin birth in town there were many in in many cultures that's of what, course well there's a, virgin goddess cults in all of greek mythology i mean callisto was turned into a bear um ursa major and minor her and her child because she was seduced by Zeus, the whole cult of Artemis, which is the moon, which is the child and the mother archetype, again, the virgin birth, right? Are these goddesses that are virgin goddesses? Hestia, virgin goddess. Artemis, Athena. I actually have this whole uh, this whole breakdown of the brain, of the three aspects of the brain, reptilian brain and limbic system and, and neocortex rooted in that myth. So Metis is her mother. She's a Titan. That's our reptilian brain. That's the part of us that's constantly, constantly trying to get our needs met. Love me, love me, love me. Tell me I'm worthy. Tell me I'm worthy. Zeus swallows her, our emotions, our limbic system. We're swallowed by our emotions. The neocortex is more of the rational mind, which is Athena. But who helps Athena get born when Zeus has the headache? Hephaestos, which is the imagination, curiosity, intuition. And so many people try to stay at the rational mind rather than knowing the universal consciousness, the universal womb. And if we stay like religion wants you to kind of stay with the, the story, just the, the, the facts of the story, and never question them, then we never tap into the intuition or the imagination. And the but fact she, that she's fully armored. Oh, she's fully armored. Yeah, she's she's ready to go. Well, she's goddess of war, but strategy. And we need strategy. We need to. The two alliance, or the two power currencies from mom and dad are overt and covert. You need both in life to survive. But like I was a person who took on the, the overt power, very bold. I would yell. I was angry. I was a leader. I was I, I was, you know, to the point, very well. I needed to learn some soft corners and take my mom's covert power to be integrated as a whole person. You can't be yelling and screaming at people all the time like that doesn't, that doesn't work, you know. So that's part of what she's saying rational mind requires the use of strategy what strategy works for which now she's a virgin goddess she's linked not so much but being a virgin goddess she's linked to the moon and what's the moon's thing i change my face depending on what you need there's there's a lot of information there I mean, we have to live in authenticity. That's all I'm about is authenticity and honesty. But you need to know when sometimes you have to soften. And I, I need this for myself. When do I have to soften sort of my corners? Because I have very hard edges. So she's sort of saying strategize and use your intuition with her face dose. So. So yes, cool. All right. So you've been diagnosed with breast cancer. How do you move through that experience? I identify immediately that it's a spiritual illness. And of course, physical as well, but a spiritual illness. And I have a little bit of a breakdown and say, okay, I'm given a test here, put my money where my mouth is as a spiritual teacher. I don't know what the test is and I surely don't know how to pass it. So I have a little bit of a freak. And <laughs> so I write this book, but no, um, I start realizing, and this is very, very common Illness serves a purpose very much. So I'm, I'm, I'm a shaman as well. And in shamanism, illness is all energetic. That's where I say that I know it's a spiritual illness. But of course, by the time it reaches the, the earthly elements, the body, you have to 
tackle it both ways. So I went back, I, I sort of went upstream, if you will. Every body part has a function. So when someone presents to me with an illness, I'm like, what's the function in their own words of that body part? Well, it was the breast and it was the left side. The left has to do with the feminine and the right has to do with the masculine. It's to nurture my children. So in my divorce with my first husband, I lost custody. And illnesses are either scarcity illnesses or abundant illnesses. I want less of something I break down or I want more of something. Well, I wanted more cancers, a, a sort of gluttonous or, or you know, a, a, an illness of, of growth, more of my children, more of the breast, more of mothering. And so when I started realizing, and that was why that moment of aha, it wasn't that my husband did anything to me or took my children. I created all of that. I did all of that. I took full responsibility. Then I began to heal. And I deal a lot with parents. And I, like I said, I wrote this Dethroning Olympus book, which is a family systems book. And it's like parents do your work so your kids don't have to. If parents fail to do their shadow work, their inner work, the child will mirror your shadow and keep doing it for you and never live their life. And I was not about to have that. I said, if I need more of my children and I need more of that, then I have to learn to do my own inner work and not have my children carry my load. And that to me was a huge defining moment and, and change. Um, so I had to work through a lot of, a lot of things from, from childhood, from my own mom, um, you know, what I had asked my, my children. I have this theory in my first book, two things that were told falsely. First is that we're loved unconditionally. Nobody has ever been loved unconditionally. You are here to love yourself unconditionally. That is it. The second is that your parents are here to meet your needs. Your parents are not here to meet your needs. You are here to meet their needs. Part of what happens in that marital bed when you're conceived is that you become the materialization of their thoughts, of their shadow aspect of their unlived life. If dad lost the sale that day, you might work hard. If mom doesn't want to have sex, so she'd rather be cooking, you become a chef for her. Whatever it is, you don't need to know the actual thoughts that they were thinking. You become that energetic thought. You materialize that as your life. So when I realized that, I was like, oh no, my kids are not carrying my burden. That's when I realized that I was my ex-husband, that he was simply mirroring my own psychological abuse in my mind and everything. But at the moment of conception, you basically say to mom and dad, I will meet your needs for you. They don't meet your needs. So we all have safety, security needs, protection needs, validation needs, and of course, love needs. And what do we do? We go through life and we get into relationship asking the other person covertly meet my needs because mom and dad never did. So I have right. to get married and I speak to this. So now we move into adult relationships, repeating the exact same pattern that mom and dad have us trying to get our needs. The other person can't do it because it's not their job. And we have what we've created this world of nobody loving themselves, self-betrayal, you know, and, and that's where I write a lot about this concept called the mistress and, um, and, and, and you only in a relationship have what I call one thread, one unmet need and one non-negotiable. And if you address a relationship with those boundaries, 
it can grow healthily, but we don't do that because we haven't been taught. So we're just repeating, meet my needs, meet my needs, because my mom and dad didn't. So you should be responsible. And what do we do with our kids? We do the same thing. So I stopped that in its tracks. And I'm like, I'm not having my kids meet my needs. And it was the seven gates that was birthed out of and, and several other projects. But that was the first one from that cancer. And I realized I have to love myself and I have to integrate my shadow. And the hardest thing to do was to integrate my mom, who was my unintegrated parent. And I had to realize and own from my head first, Athena, and then my heart, Aphrodite, that I am my mother. And that every single thing in that marital bed, good and bad, mom and dad is me. And if I want the olive branch within, I better integrate that real quick. Because if not, this was a life or death, right? I mean, this is cancer. And I passed. I'm cancer free. (laughs) What do you think you represented to your ex-husband? So he represented to you your mirror. How are you mirroring to him, do you think? I mean, I can't say... For him and it would hit for him to decide, but obviously if he's mirroring what I call the zero to a hundred. So I have this, this um, theory, it's the zero to a hundred. And the truth is in the 48 to 52, 48 to 52 is the balance, right? The midpoint that comes from a spiritual law called the law of pendulum. And we have these pendulum swings. Our partner, like I said earlier, is the unintegrated parent. Um, He was so narcissistic, thought he was great, was an oncologist, was told by his parents that he was God and could do no wrong, which he lived out well and served me well when I understood the mirror. Maybe some humility, maybe, you know, some some wait a minute. I don't know everything. I don't know how he would say that. That's not for me to to do for him. But that's the only thing I can say in terms of the mirror, the truth and and the spiritual law says all truths are half truths. The truth was not his, that he's all God and I'm this piece of junk that was thrown to the bottom of the ocean, right? The self-worth and the lack of, the the, the pride and arrogance with this low self-worth. The truth is midpoint. And so when I finally integrate mom and dad and I reach my 48 to 52 and yeah, I can definitely own my strengths and own my third chakra and, and, and know what I'm worth, but I don't have to take anyone's power or anyone take my power. That's that's where health happens. And that really was the sort of coming home uh, to myself when I was able to what I say, man, my fires that comes from a myth. Hestia was a virgin goddess who would man the fires of the Agora in Greece, and she wasn't allowed to partake in any cults, in any of the rituals. She would man the fires. And I tell clients, man, your fires, your third chakra. It balances your lower chakras that your animal nature, that you're impure, and it balances your higher chakras, which is your divine. But if without the third chakra, that's the key. And when I started doing that, and the only way to do that is to integrate the good and the bad, right? The divine and the, and, and, and the shadow aspects. There's no other way. That's when I got healthy and whole. If he learned that lesson or not, that's not for me to decide. But I would assume that that's the opposite of the coin for the other person. If they, if they do the work. Um, I find it interesting that he's an oncologist. I'm sorry. I find it interesting that he's an oncologist. Oh yeah. That was definitely uh, symbolic. <laughs> yeah, actually, sure. He was lovely. He was absolutely lovely. When I called him and said, I have breast cancer. He was available and really was, was a star. He showed up, he showed yeah. up me and the kids and, and, you know, so that's also where you start seeing the mirror 
I started showing up for myself. He showed up for me. Yeah. It's not an accident. These aren't like, oh my God, this person had this huge epiphany. You're creating everything in your psyche, in your mind, in your outer world at all times. So I can say that he showed up for me while I was finally showing up for self. So it's not an opinion of his goodness. I'm saying yeah. it's for me. Yeah, I get that. Did he have the custody of the children because of, you know, he had the high pollutant job and all that kind of stuff? I moved a lot. Um, I didn't have roots. I was, I wouldn't say an escape artist. I think I was just trying to find something. I didn't know what that was. So I moved and moved and moved and, and wasn't settled in self and, and moving so many times. And the court will say the most stable parent. I was more probably mentally stable. <laughs> <laughs> I would say, but yeah, with a job and a home and, and, and the, the career, you know, so the custody was on paper, which was so funny because 50-50 in terms of, of the visitation, nothing changed. What changed was a judge on paper said, you're not a mom. And I let that another person, an outsider. A judge. A judge, right. Yeah. That's, I call that my perfect older sister voice, one of my competitive voices. Um, I let that define that I wasn't mother material. I also learned later on, and I do have a book coming out next year on this. Um, the reason that all of the moon archetypes are goddesses that are virgin goddesses, subconsciously, because we meet our parents' needs, right? I always say we cook, clean, and counsel our mothers and fathers too. If we stay virgin goddesses like Persephone, then we can create a story like I did where we lose our children or we can't have children. It's one of the, the many myths that occur is I will stay a virgin goddess. I will stay a child so that you always have a child that meets your needs, mom. Thumbs up. I've got your back. And I had to do a lot of work around that. And I realized that I created that on paper. Nothing changed physically, 50-50 still, but... I needed to live out that myth and that storyline so that I could integrate mom and, and heal and so forth. Mm. And my mom also lost a daughter. My oldest sister passed. And I think that there might've been an emotional loyalty to that storyline too. So we're very fascinating how one archetype we relive over and over and over in all the different stories and all the different myths. And I, that's why I study myths obsessively. Because I want to see all the different ways that a psyche is going to live out that myth. And so when I understood that, I was like, oh, well, this is an interesting way of, of living out this virgin goddess. You know, I have a moon in cancer, so it's very much Artemis. And, you know, um, so luckily it wasn't severe and I didn't lose a child or anything like that. But on paper for many years and I got my kids back, if you will, psychologically in my head once I started doing my own inner work. And I don't have them do my work for me. And it's a very, it's a constant conversation in my home. Parents do your work so your kids don't have to. And I will tell my kids, I will, you will not have to do my work for me. That is my full-time job. So. Wow. This is, it's giving me so much to think about. It's, it's wild. I mean, let's, let's talk archetypal uh, astrology. So what does that mean? So, and I'm actually in the process of writing a, I don't know what it's going to be, a library. I don't know. Susan, every single thing boils down to 12 archetypes. That is it. I will listen to a client. The 
first few words they say, pass the good morning. And I can identify the archetype and the entire session unfolds in this archetype. Everything, every symbol, every myth, every story, every word, everything goes into one of 12 categories. So I'm sort of in this process of building. It's probably going to be a multi-year sort of project, but of dividing these things. And when we start to listen archetypally or live symbolically, not only are we tapping in, obviously, to the universal womb and the cosmos and our intuition and our imagination, our whole world opens up because one symbol or one myth or one archetypal word, you start to see much bigger beyond the, the matter, beyond the earthly realm. So with archetypal astrology, it's basically that. Um, very much linked to myth. I start every session with the myth the person's living, sun, moon, ascendant. And then the relationship of the, of, the, of the planets that I call psychological organs, they talk to each other. They're either competitive or they're collaborative. The collaborative voices don't give you problems. That's your good buckets. Well, mom and dad give you that you say is good. The competitive voices are the shadow aspects or the bad buckets, the ones that are like the perfect older sister voices in your head that judge you and whatnot. So I see those relationships and tie it back to the myth. And then the person, of course, depending on transits, I ask, how did you live out this story? I give them the myth. And then they, they tell me their version of how they lived it out. We don't vary too much from the original context of the myths. They're in our collective unconscious. Now we have various ways that we can live it out over and over and over again. Um, and that's fascinating. But all archetypes are in our head. So that's what the chart is. It's basically a map of what's going on in our psyche. So anything that shows up in your life, if you can identify the archetype and the map of astrology is just a map, you can see it on paper, then you can understand what you're trying to integrate, what archetype you're trying to integrate and make whole that olive branch that's causing you problems. And it's usually the same ones over and over and over and over again. So if you tend to have problems with women, it might be the moon archetype. If you have a lot of conflict or you have a lot of, uh, you know, you break your bones a lot or you have a lot of surgeries, but they all have linked to an archetype. So these repetitive themes that show up that we can see in the chart are for you to integrate an archetype. Well, every archetype has a low vibration, a low level consciousness or a high level consciousness. And why does the universe present the same archetypes over and over and over is because the point is to transmute your behavior into a change in belief, eliminate or reduce limiting beliefs and transmute that so that you can live from a higher consciousness it goes back to the fire element. You can only raise consciousness with a belief change, with transmutation, with the handy dandy club of bringing to the light, the dark. So that's what archetypal astrology is. It's phenomenal. It's phenomenal. So you want a piece of paper and I'll start sometimes with the clients with that. Then we do the psychological x-ray and we can see, and then I'll do some shadow work with them or what I call the Ted talk to get them sort of started. And you could see it all threaded. We're, we're not, we don't change. We're, 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 we're the same story over and over. It's so fascinating. I am a Taurus sun and Aries moon, uh, Sagittarian rising, and I have a grand trine in earth signs. Wait, you're a Taurus sun. Okay. Aries moon. Venus. Oh, wow. You have a lovely combo. 
<laughs> and, then I, and I have a grand shrine in Earth signs. Okay. So your Mars and Venus archetype are linked to what's called the law of gender in spirituality. And a big part of through your Sagittarius ascendant, through wisdom and these sorts of conversations or however spiritual practice or wisdom, you know, studies you gain is to raise the shock, uh, the Ida and the Pingala, which are the masculine and feminine serpents. Um, have you seen the sign of the Caduceus, the medical symbol? Oh, yeah, yeah. And I, it's funny you bring that up because I keep, I keep being drawn. Every time I do, the very first time I did acupuncture, I saw a snake eating its own tail in my right hand. Oh, that's my Uribos. Yeah, and I was like, ooh, and I've been wanting to get a tattoo of that on my body somewhere. <laughs> okay, that's called Uribos. Um, that's actually linked to removal of veils and, and illusion. It's linked to a myth, a Herculean myth called the Garden of Hesperides. I can send it to you after via email. And anytime you see serpents or snakes or dragons, I just finished watching Game of Thrones. I'm a little behind. But anytime that has to do with the symbol of illusion. And this world is considered illu illusion. It is only in the sixth chakra, which is what this law of, of uh, gender is for you, in the sixth chakra where those two serpents or the urbos that you saw, the, the serpent eating its tail, become whole. It's a raising of masculine and feminine energies, the anima and the animus, as Jung called them, together. The sixth chakra is the third eye. It's when they're balanced. Balancing <laughs> masculine and feminine and your Sag Ascendant is through wisdom studies, uh, travel, you know, anything that expands the mind that helps you raise consciousness. Sounds now, like I me. I also have a Sag Ascendant. So you have an interesting thing there. Sag Ascendant. We say in mundane astrology, the Sag Ascendant or the Ascendant is your personality. No. Sag, the Ascendant in archetypal astrology is the sign in how to raise your consciousness. So the sign before is Scorpio, is a water sign. The element of the sign before your ascendant is why you create crisis, emotional trauma, like your website says, the tragedies, the hopelessness. That is how you connect to the human experience. That's from a past life, your soul understood that if you emotionally connect to humanity, then you're going to have a place in the world. But this lifetime is about raising the consciousness and getting away from the sort of trauma and moving into joy. So that's a big part of that. And if you read the myth of Dionysus, Dionysus is the god of wine. The Sag Ascendant is Dionysus. It has nothing to do with wine and, and pleasures of the flesh the way that... <laughs> Rats! It's about balance. And going back to Athena, Dionysus was actually called the twice-born god. He was, um, his, his flesh was eaten by the Titan. So like the animal, what I said before about Metis, the Titan, the reptilian brain. And he was eaten and his heart was thrown. Athena picked up his heart and stuck it in Zeus's thigh. And he was born again. So that twice born that. has to do with being born again. Again, dying, you know, killing what's not and rising from the ashes, right? The, the whole Lucifer and all of that. So that myth, and I have the same exact 
thing. My dog is actually named Dino, short for Dionysus. So I know this myth very well. Is about, yes, of course. And I live in the depths of shadow with people. That's my job. But there's another shared human experience for us, which is joy, which is pleasure and pleasure, meaning this community. So your, your name of your podcast is Beyond On Point, which is share the story, connect at the heart level. I don't have to connect only with pain, but I can connect with this higher sort of wisdom and Dionysus, albeit that he's the god of pleasure and wine. People miss, you know, sort of misname that, meaning that it's the pleasures of the flesh and having orgies and stuff. No, it's about wholeness. It's about balancing the masculine and feminine. In my Truth is in the Triangle book, the one that I told you was coming out in a few weeks, it's all in relationships. I have a whole chapter on that myth and why we're seeing the movement um, in society of the divine feminine, the divine masculine, a large transgender community, it's all rooted in that mythology. We're, we're, we're trying at a soul level to achieve balance within with our masculine and feminine. And so you're that's so perfect. Yeah. Hey, firstly, this is good. This is so crazy. A couple nights ago, I had a dream that um, something was wrong with my eye and I went into a doctor and I came out of the surgery, quote unquote, and I had just one giant eye in the middle of my head. And I was like, do you think anyone will notice? And my friend was like, no, no, it looks fine. I'm like, it's a giant <laughs> eye. And then a couple of days later, I had the acupuncture again. And I, in my mind's eye, I saw a blue ladder. And so I had to look up what that meant. And that was really fascinating. But the thing about the two is interesting because I had my Vedic astrology read a couple of years back. And he said, do people tell you all the time that you look younger than you are? I said, all the time. And he said, and are you kind of obsessed with the sciences and literature and all that? And I was like, yeah, completely. And he said, well, you're, you have, there are these two twin uh, gods. They were immortals. And I can't remember their names. They're twin brothers. Okay. Anyway, so I was just like, oh, that's it's weird. So you're saying that about the two. There's so many things. And then the well, first time I ever did hypnotherapy, which was amazing. One of the experiences at the very beginning of the session I was like, I'm in a snow globe. I was describing it to the hypnotherapist. I said, I'm in a snow globe. And I'm, I know it's a snow globe, but the person that I am, I was rowing a boat upstream in this, you know, really lush uh, atmosphere. And I said, but it's a snow globe. <laughs> it's so weird that you brought that up too. I'm, my mind is just blowing about well, all these overlaps. And the thing is that the, the myth that I told you I was going to send you of Hesperides is linked to Gemini. The sign Gemini. So Gemini is the duality. And it's only in the third eye when we identify spirit and matter. So the, the two serpents that, that wrap around the caduceus are called Ida and Pingala. The masculine and feminine are right and left. The intersection is the chakra system. The six chakras where they unify. So that's the, the importance. I'm going to send you another law. It's called the law of gender. And that's like your law, so to speak, with your with your archetypes here of, of Taurus and, and, um, and Aries. And so that's the key to raising your consciousness is raising that, that law of gender and raising that Ida and Pingala and the serpents. That's why you see the Urubos. What he was, where your dream about the eye, you're in search of the truth. You're in search of removal of the veils. You're in search of, I don't want illusion anymore. I want the truth. So the sixth chakra is super, super important. Why? As humans, we cannot 
get we get glimpses i should say in the seventh chakra we get glimpses of the transcendence maybe in a meditation or an ayahuasca or something but really what we understand as god is something called an ishvadevatar which is goddess form so jesus or buddha or krishna or ganesh or whomever you believe in it needs to be a form it's only with and this is why i say that at the end of the day my foundation was a really solid foundation i understood the premise of spirituality spirit and matter cannot be separated that's the whole message in the sixth chakra masculine feminine spirit and matter shadow or dark and light and that only happens in the sixth chakra by raising those two serpents or that the, removing those veils so you'll see in the myth in the myth of garden of hesperides Hercules is seeking the, the golden apples. He's told to go get these golden apples, love, wisdom, service, sort of, you know, high vibration things. But he encounters two teachers on his road, Busiris and Nereus. Nereus is a legit teacher. He sort of nudges him in the right direction. Busiris promises him, of course, the illusion, the moon and stars, I'm going to make you X, Y, Z. We humans are very enamored with the illusion, with the world. Again, it's the unification of spirit and matter, not just the illusion of the veils of form and matter. But also we can't go in the other direction where it's only spirit and transcendent. That was part of my story with cancer. When you asked earlier, I learned several things. And illness has a function. One of the functions is for people like me that tend to like the spirit world more than the matter, illness brings us back to the body. Illness reminds us that we're human and we're not gods so that we can find the balance. I cannot do my divine presence if I'm not embodied. It's impossible. The spirit world cannot do anything without the material world. So in that myth, Busiris promises in the moon and stars, and this is important for those seeking a spiritual teacher, that they're not promised all of this stuff which a lot of times spiritual teachers do, hence the cults. I decided, and it's blatant on my website, my job is to help people get freed of any sort of coercion, cults, religions, teachers, anything, so that you own the power, so that you stop giving away your power. That is my job. That is what I, my mission in the world. And so we have to get to that place where we become sort of our teacher. Do we need a teacher, quote unquote, on the road? Absolutely. Someone needs to sort of break these things down to you. We, the guru, you sit at the guru's feet, of course. But that's Aenerius. Aenerius simply, in the myth you'll see, nudges Hercules in the right direction. You have the wisdom inside. You just need that nudging. You might need the logic piece, the knowledge, the book knowledge piece. But your insides are very much divine and know where to direct you. So that myth, the illusion, the illusionary world, the imbalance of masculine and feminine, all of that's in that myth and the law of gender I'm going to send to you is your third, your sixth chakra, your third eye. And the last thing I'll, I'll speak to that is the eyes are a source that robs our fire. What enters through our eyes, lust, greed, envy vanity and it robs a third chakra fire so the another importance of the third eye is that when we balance matter and spirit the illusion world of course everything needs to look pretty in this world right i mean we're in i'm in florida but we're in the united states matter matters balance with spirit then our third chakras we can man those third chakra that those third chakras 
and really own our power and, and be the teacher that that we need. I became the teacher that I needed. I wrote the books that I needed. If anyone else benefits, great. But if not, it was all for me. And I'm I recognize that. I'm oh my gosh. You know, I just teach you what I've learned on the way. And if it helps, great. And if not, I take no offense type of thing. But that's very much in that myth. And that is your myth. Wow. Let's talk. Let's talk about the Kashik Records room library. In in my that same hypnotherapy, it's me brought up dragons too. In that same hypnotherapy session, I saw this dragon that was sort of bouncing around and that was wild. And then I was in this library that it was books from, they went on and on and on. There were all these spiral staircases and there were beings uh, that, that were there. And my head started tilting back and it, my, in real life with the hypnotherapist, my head was tilting back and my mouth was, she said, she's like, you were freaking me out because your mouth opened so wide. But in my mind, what I was seeing was my head tilted back and this light just shot out of my mouth. It was so wild. Wow, <laughs> it was the most intense experience. Let's talk about the Kashik records. Cause but as I had heard of them before, I knew that that's like the records of all things or some are all people or all times and all, you know, they talk about that in movies and uh, Dr. Strangelove, you know, that right. kind of thing. So, so uh, to break down your, your uh, message that you got in that session, Akash is another word for ether. That's it. Energy field or ether, the fifth chakra. So your mouth, when you open it up and it comes out light, it's associated with sound. Akash is like the sound element. And when you open out and light comes, you're literally like speaking the records from the fifth chakra, which is the Akash, which is the, the, the chakra that links to the Akash or the, the Sanskrit word. Akash is a Sanskrit word that means ether energy field. So that's why I said at the throat and to see light come out, you don't really speak. We speak sound. Sound is just what a light wave, so to speak, or a sound wave. So that's what that represented. So that was perfect. There are seven planes in the universe. Humans, the highest plane that we can access in the earthly realm, in in the matter, is the Akashic level. That's the highest plane. So for me... The Akashic Records, in my opinion, and I do tarot and I do divination of all sorts. To me, I call it the peer-reviewed journal of all the divinatory sciences, okay, or arts. Why not go to the source, the library? And I'm all about the source. So I do everything in the records. You can learn to access your records with a prayer. It's not a difficult process. We all have access. It's not anything special. You might need some training, and I teach that to read other people's records, but you absolutely have access to your own records. So there's seven planes in the universe, and the fourth plane, the Akashic plane, is the one that we are allowed to get to as, as the highest, so to speak, because our, our matter is dense. Um, and there you can access anything. So basically, the idea is now in metaphysical law, there is a law called the principle of mentalism. All is mind. And everything emanates from one source, one one large mind, if you will. That's the Akashic Records. Everything is stored in there. Individually, you have your set and I have my set. It is everything ever thought, said, done, past, present, and future. Now, why do I say future? Future, I can read um, energy based on your previous choices. Do you have right to change it? Absolutely. 
Absolutely. Behavior change is very difficult. Belief change even more so. So when you do sort of read the records for the future, it's contingent on the person behaving lifetime after lifetime after lifetime, a soul of choices based on what they previously chose. But you can change that. You do have free will in the lifetime to make that choice. But that's why I say past, present and future. It's all stored in there. And it's fascinating. My opinion, the language of the universe is myth, metaphor, and symbol. When I open the records, I always start with a symbol or an image or some sort of myth. That's how my guidance communicates to me. And it sort of unravels what's going on. But you can go into the records. You can ask absolutely anything. Nothing is off limits. If you're not able to know, so to speak, or it's not time, then something else will show up. But um, it's the most beautiful practice. When I was in my discovery and my search after that existential crisis, I first found astrology and astrology was great. And I've been an astrologer ever since. Few months later, I was driving and I heard clearly Akashic records. So I went home and Googled and I found a lady. I got a reading on Christmas Eve. And I think the next week I started the teachings first class, I'm like, I'm home. And that's home for me. The Akashic Records is home for me. So no matter what technique, no matter what I use, and I'm a licensed mental health counselor, my PhD is in mental health, no matter what sort of service or or, or modality I use in practice, I'm always in the records. So I'm a shaman as well, I mentioned earlier. And shamanism like any of these sort of divination sort of arts, basically means a person that walks between the worlds. There's an ordinary reality, an ordinary consciousness and a shamanic state of consciousness, right? This is what's been written about. Jung has written about it. Corbin has written about it, that we're in these two states always at the same time. So when you're in the records, like I pretty much hang out in the records all day long in my earthly body, I'm rooted and grounded here. Previous Francis prior to cancer was not. She would kind of float and dissociate. Very different. And that's what a lot of spirituality sells. Dissociate, fluff, leave the body. Oh, no. This is about being here and now grounded in the earthly realm, in the matter, like Jesus, and yet being uh, connected to the timelessness of the records of the universe, whatever you want to call it, if you don't like the Akashic record. That's a shaman, that's a reader, that's someone who's whole, that's someone who's walking the world. Um, And that's what I obviously try to work with with clients so that they can be in both. When you kind of learn to live in that space, you know, Corbin called it the mundus imaginalis. Uh, I think Jung said it was uh, tenemos, which is like a space where the counselor and and the client shared and it almost felt like there was no time, that time dissipated. It's a space that we inhabit where our spirit and our matter are one, we feel whole, again, that olive branch, that peace and contentment with self. That is what I would love everyone to learn to live. That line aligns with a law called the law of correspondence. And that's when you learn there is no other. That's when you learn everything's a mirror. Whatever you're judging, it's about self. That, I think, is sort of the, the coming home process or, or that divine love of the other that we're seeking being of service and so more so forth that the age of Aquarius is all about. Um, that's the space to inhabit. That's the Akashic records. When you're in this space receiving sort of guidance, 
but you're present and mindful with the person. So I've been in the records this whole time. So if something comes in, it's just like an automatic flow. It's just like you're in the flow. It's the most magical place to be. When I found the records, I found home and I said, I'm never leaving. (laughs) (laughs) I wonder if you were one of the people I saw then. (laughs) I couldn't really see their faces. I just knew they were there. I could feel them there. It's a beautiful, beautiful practice. I love the word reverence. And one of the things like I ask clients is like, like, what's your reverence? What's the practice that you have reverence for? For me, it's the records. It's this tiny little prayer. It's old. It's like plastic. My teacher gave it to me. I live with it in my wallet. It's not the, it's the reverence to this practice. It's the reverence to myself, to my divine, to to my access. And we all have that. This is not anything reserved for any special person. This is our true essence, our true nature. That's what Jesus and Buddha speak to. That's why it's Yahweh. That's why it's Om. That's why that's why you keep having to say, here I am or I am here throughout the body. They're they're constantly saying, hello, it's in you. It's in (laughs) you. Yes, it's in you. And the thing is, you can be in, quote unquote, that space that people think is outside of self, that's really in self, spirit and matter combined. There's nothing else. This is it. This is the space. Like when Ram Dass says, be here now, he's talking about be here now in the body, in the spirit, all one. That's shamanism. That's the records. That's true health, healing, light, shadow, marital bed, all of That's all of it. That's all of it. It's, it's an amazing space to share, to teach, to work in. And I can immediately feel when I'm out of that, when I'm obviously back in my ego and personality, because we all have that, because we're all human. And I can feel a shift energetically. I can feel immediately. And it's usually linked to an emotional response. An emotional response that I call child. I go back to child trying to get my needs met. Wow, wow, wow. I'm not worried. It's it's immediate. And I'll be like, okay, I'm in child now. I'm I'm totally in the ego. I'm totally there. That's fine. I'm allowed. I give myself permission to be there 20% of the time. (laughs) And I hang out there and I suck my thumb and, you know, okay, I'm having a temper tantrum and that's fine. But then when I slip right back into that, what I call the 48 to 52, that space, it's like, wow, why would I ever want to leave? This is the universal womb. This is the space that I want. You know, that's the third chakra. That's why the third chakra, first of all, the third chakra is in the lower nature. It is in the body. In the, thir- the third chakra is the, the gut. It's considered the lower nature. The fourth chakra starts the higher divine. There's a reason why self-worth and self-love and manning the fires occurs in the lower nature, in the body. So I refute a lot of sort of new agey practices, as new agey as I am, that teach that, be out of the body, dissociate from the body, uh, a lot of fluff stuff that, that, you, that you read and see about because it's, it's not the teaching. The teaching is spirit and matter always together. There's a reason that the third chakra is in the lower nature. Chiron represents our wounding and also our return home, our healing in the lower nature. He gets shot with the arrow in the thigh. The thigh is lust. The thigh is desire. The thigh is the the lower nature. Jesus is born in a manger, the lower nature. It's repeated over and over and over again that it happens here now in this embodiment um, so it's not too much spirit and it's not too much matter. It's sort of, you know, that what I call 48 to 52, which is sort of Goldilocks, just right. That combo of, of both. 
Now, have you remarried or, or are you? I remarried um, and I got divorced and I've been single now for many years. Do you find uh, this? I'm trying to figure out how to put like I'm, I'm single and I mean, I date occasionally, whatever, but, um, and I have deep, loving, beautiful, connecting relationships with a, you know, and, but I'm not, they're not intimate in, in this, they're intimate, but they're not intimate in the, in the way of like sexual or whatever. Um, not that I don't get, you know, horny or whatever, like the next person, but you know, I can satisfy those needs. Um, but it, it seems to me at this point in my life, it's like, that all that's all that's like taking on other people's stuff and and i don't i'm so doing this thing do do you find that that's the case i do have a boyfriend and i did write this book called the truth is in the triangle so i don't know if you're familiar with the symbol the vesica pisces it's two overlapping circles it's what in school we learned was the venn diagram diagram. okay got it so the vesica pisces is symbolic of an ancient tradition called the heros gamos the Heros Gamos means mystical marriage. The mystical marriage, again, male, female. So that law of gender in, in the third eye um, or the spirit and matter, another way to do it, right? The, the, the spirit and the matter, the divine and the material always together. So in this model, because I did have trouble in relationships, obviously, um, I wrote this book to explain how to live in relationship without self-betraying or taking other people's stuff on. So the first circle is the I, which would be you. The other I would be your potential partner. The overlap of that, which is what I call the we, if you look at it, it actually makes the fish, the symbol of Christianity. It represents the vagina. It represents the opening. It represents the sort of penetration or creation, second chakra. All things happen in the second chakra. You cannot create absolutely anything without masculine and feminine in in those energies. I'm not talking about organs. I'm talking about energies. And so when I write this book and and create this model and the workbook's free on my website, um, I explain the I, I, and the we. The we is a very small circle. It's a small portion why we were fed this idea that this other person was supposed to meet all our needs and be the end all be all for us. Not true at all. So I have something instead of soulmate, because soulmate carries a lot of energetic baggage. I named it a thread mate. We are with someone for a certain amount of time, 30 years, 30 days, three weeks, does not matter. Based on one thread, that's an energetic thread that we are mirrors at that moment, my ex-husband and I, for those three years that we had these kids, right? That was our focus. That was our threat, having children. One unmet need where the couple speaks up and says, I've got this one need I'm going to ask you to meet in this relationship and one non-negotiable. One thing that is an absolute no-no that if you do or violate, it's over. Those are my values. That's self-betrayal. That's my rule book. And absolutely not. Sex is sort of inherent in that sex plus one other than many that's sort of how that works people could decide that on their own um but that's sort of the the recipe if you will if we were to have these conversations before or what i call in a renegotiation we tend to renegotiate relationships between five to seven years it's a theory i have called the skinny cows There's a famous story in the Bible where Joseph interprets the Pharaoh's dream where the fat cows are being eaten by the skinny cows. That 
links to astrology, the Jupiter and Saturn, Jupiter dethroned Saturn. So this relationship, we play out archetypally in our psyche where I got dethroned Olympus for the title of my book. So every five to seven years, our snow globe of our fantasy relationship will shatter so that we can renegotiate. So you get to go back and define your thread. Maybe your kids are grown and it's no longer children. Maybe it's to travel the world, whatever it is. One unmet need, one non-negotiable. If we had clarity around that, and I did that with my now boyfriend, and it has been ridiculously grown up. I have a book coming out, Spiritual Adulting. This is a spiritual adulting process. This is moving into a relationship where we're both adults meeting our own needs with the exception of what we decided was our thread, our unmet need, and our non-negotiable. When something shows up, because things will show up, if it is not linked to that thread or that non-negotiable or that unmet need, you go right back to your eye. That is his crap, not yours, Susan. And you don't deal with it. He has to take care of his own needs. The one thread, the unmet need, the non-negotiable, that's where you share that space. That's the creation that you've decided upon that to come together. Then you can use each other as a mirror and, and so forth and grow. If not, we're going to constantly be in this vicious cycle of having our partner try to be our parent because the word partner and parent has the same letter except one R for redo. That's what we're doing. We're trying to redo our childhood and our relationships. And we haven't been given these rules. We haven't been given a foundation, a structure, a philosophy, anything. So that's why I wrote these books. Because if not, I'd be dead right now. Like I wrote these workbooks and my website is full of workbooks, free workbooks. I've got a gazillion free videos where I explain all of this. Because if not, I'd be dead. I didn't know. I didn't have a compass to navigate this. When I tell you I crossed the ocean to get to that co-leader, I live that out metaphorically with no compass, no map. I was like a wayfarer in, in the ocean. And I wrote these things for me. And of course, if anybody can, can gain some wisdom from them, but that's how I view relationships. I of course was hesitant to, after my second marriage to get involved with someone. And, and, and I proposed this to my partner and he was like, absolutely. And it's been really beautiful really lovely. That's great. I love that. I love that model. It's, it's wonderful. How many books have you written thus far? So it's been a funny year, COVID. I don't know what COVID did to me and my creativity, but seven gates in which bitch are on Amazon. Those are available this year. I wrote (laughs) truth is in the triangle and uh, Throning Olympus, Spiritual Adulting. I've written this book on moon archetypes and, and all of these virgin goddesses that I told you about linked to your moon sign and your shadow love language. Um, those I've written this year. I started that archetype book that will be out. And I also wrote a book, but that won't be out till next year. It's called The Wisdom of the Psyche. It's all on the archetype of Pluto, of Lucifer, of, of the shadow, of Satan, of all that. I, I I dethrone every single god of all traditions linked to that archetype to explain how we create that perpetrator so that we can become our own savior. It's it's fascinating. And that's where I explain the whole psychological homeostasis. That one won't be out till next year. The others will be out. Hidden Truths, I forgot to mention that, is the eight spiritual laws of the universe, which I live my life by. I'm going to send you law of gender, which is your law. And if we learn to live with these laws, Everything in the universe, spiritual and material, are ruled by these laws. So I live my life with these eight laws. 
And I wrote this book where I took the Kabbalion plus the law of octaves, which was sort of re, you know, kind of revived by Gurdjieff. And I put them in this book and I sort of gave client examples and, and modern day sort of application to them with a workbook. Everything I do has a workbook. Um, that one will be on the next week or two. Truth in the Triangle will be on the next month and spiritual adulting um, and dethroning Olympus probably by September, October. I so love your brain. Your brain is awesome. Seriously. I have, I've been very busy. Um, yeah, I just, it, it, it sort of like flows, I guess. I, I know it's the records. I, I, I definitely have my earthly knowledge. I study a lot. I read a lot and I synthesize a lot. That's my earthly gift. But the records is sort of the, the source of it. And we all have access to that. Um, I sometimes laugh when I hear the story of the lady who wrote Harry Potter, how she was in the bus and she got, well, she was in the records. That, that's what that is, that download, that universal sort of consciousness that you connect to and, and you see it for what it is for you. Um, and this, this year, I was in a very severe depression for three years. I got cancer. I had many, many surgeries. My husband left. My children went off to college. I talk about a dark night of the soul. I've had few, but this was the worst one. And when I came out of it or chose to come out of it one day last year, I said, I'm healthy. I'm fine. And everything shifted for me. I think I had all these books built up and finally I was able to get them out. And I was working from home with COVID and I just have, I, I write every morning. I, I, you'll see on my website, on my YouTube, I have tons of lectures. Let's um, talk about that. Say, uh, tell everybody how to find you because I have a feeling you'll be getting some calls. <laughs> <laughs> um, my website is dryahia.com. That's D-R-Y-A-H-I-A.com. And that will link you to the YouTube. My YouTube channel has hundreds and hundreds and hours a video about the psyche, about spiritual significance of everything, every archetype, every symbol, every myth you name. So that's a wealth of information. My website has a ton of free workbooks. The Truth is in the Triangle Relationship one, the Dethroning Olympus Family one, and the Seven Gates is the individual one. So whether you're working your shadow with individual uh, couples or your children, it doesn't matter. It's all there. The I have something called the Inner Child Slumber Party. I don't know if that workbook is on there, but if people want to do inner child work, I have a phenomenal workshop and this workbook, I can send it. Um, and the moon is on there too. The moon, I explain everything about the psyche of the moon, why we honor mom, the shadow love language we learn in pregnancy. It's phenomenal workbook that's on there. And all of these books, like I said, are coming out later this year. Seven Gates, Seven Steps Beyond Self-Awareness, and Witch Bitch are on Amazon. I have a podcast called Mistress of the Subconscious, um, where I go into the shadow work, how to do the model. It's it's a great a little podcast. I do all the, a bunch of different things on there. Um, I have a Patreon. If people are just starting on their spiritual path and they don't know where to begin or they have one or two practices, they don't know where it fits in. I have something called a Spiritual Starter Kit. And I've written these 12 truths to a spiritual path. These are the 12 truths in any tradition. Doesn't matter. You, whatever you're already doing, you layer on. So you were saying meditation, that goes to truth 10. But you need to start at truth one, which is observing your thought or knowing how to break down your thought. So I go through all of it in this Patreon. You get one video at a time with an activity with the workbook. Um, it's a good place to start because sometimes people are like, how do I even start this stuff? Um, so the website full of resources 
And of course, you can always hit contact me and I'll shoot you an email and send you any resources you might need. And if you want a session, of course, I'm open for that too. Uh, Your last name, it's very resonant. And it reminds me of the, you know, the Yahweh or the I am or the Om. Is that intentional or was that just by luck of draw? That's by luck of draw. It's actually Turkish. Um, I love it. And it's so funny because someone asked me the other day, did you ever change your name? I never changed my name with either marriage. That's always been my name. I'm very connected. I did the numerology to that name years ago, and it's a very powerful numerology name. And it is, it's, it's, it's very different. Um, but that's interesting. I had not thought of like sort of the connection um, to that. When I said it, it, it reminded me of that feeling, which it doesn't surprise me really because of your work, uh, that reminding people of that, it's, it makes sense to me that that's the way it is. Well, thank you. That's beautiful. I had not connected those dots. Um, I do have a Hidden Truths College of Metaphysics. If anyone's interested in studying myth, Akashic Records, astrology, wants to take classes as a student, I do have that um, in, my, in my college as well. So, yeah. You it's know, great. And if anyone listening just has a question, please do not hesitate to ask. I literally, my life's work, independent of my work work, is to help be a Nereus and maybe nudge you in the right direction and lead you to wherever you need to go if you don't know how to get there. So please use me for that. That's how I give service back. Uh, it has been such a pleasure talking to you. Thank you for this. I, my, I just, I have so much to chew on. As you were talking, I was like, oh, I do that there. <laughs> it was mind blowing and I loved it. It was so exciting. I, thank you for listening, everybody. And uh, be well and take care of each other and go in, go out, go everywhere. Bye. Rate and review Hey Human on iTunes or wherever you get your podcasts. Bye.